All right. Welcome back to the Working Tools Podcast, a casual conversation about Freemasonry. This is uh, part two of our conversation with Brother McEwen about the landmarks. Ladies and gentlemen, brethren all, welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, a casual conversation around Freemasonry. First, it's important to note that our opinions and thoughts are our own and do not reflect those of our Grand Lodge or respective craft or concordant bodies. Please connect with us and ask questions, either here on YouTube or on our Facebook page. We'd also appreciate a thumbs up and especially any comments on our videos. Trevor? Uh, so we've decided that, um, that perhaps number 11, that we have to have tiled meetings, uh, is uh, an acceptable landmark. Uh, that the right of every mason to be represented in all general meetings of the craft, Grand Lodge meetings, is still up for discussion. Uh, the right, ah, the right of every mason, uh, this is an interesting one. The right of every Mason to appeal from the decision of his brethren in Lodge convened to the Grand Lodge or General Assembly of Masons. So, in historically in British Columbia, and I can really only speak on British Columbia, um, Grand Lodges had the right to hold Masonic trials. Grand, uh, sorry, uh, individual Lodges had the right to hold Masonic trials. Grand Lodge gave them a set of rules and forms and a procedure to do it, but you were judged by the brethren of your own lodge. That was what it was about. Now, if you didn't like their decision, if they uh, suspended you or expelled you and you felt that you'd been hard done by, in our constitution originally, historically, you had the right to come to the annual communication of Grand Lodge and appeal and have the members of Grand Lodge hear your appeal and then vote on whether or not the Lodge was justified. About 40 years ago in this jurisdiction, we created the, the Grand Lodge Masonic Trial Commission and we took that right away from the Lodges and we made a special trial commission where all the Masonic trials went to. Strangely enough, we did not remove from our constitution the ability of members to appeal to Grand Lodge except four years ago, five years ago now, when we adopted our plain language version, we removed that. So in effect, what I think, if not a landmark, is an important aspect of Freemasonry in my jurisdiction has been uh, expunged. <laughs> but there you have it. Uh, what's, what's the story in Washington, do you know? It, it's, it's similar, again, it's not an area of the code I'm extremely familiar with, but it is similar in that the uh, the Grand Lodge created a trial committee a few, well, before I joined, so 15 years, so years ago, 20 years ago, and uh, gradually it became now that the lodges, while they're represented in the trials and like they would could prefer charges against a brother, etc., that the trial committee actually conducts the trial and uh, and it goes through their process, and then there's a separate grievances and appeals committee 
that if you feel that the Grand Lodge Trial Committee has done a has done you wrong, as you said, that they that you have a you do have an authority to appeal to the either to the Grand Master and to the Grievances and Appeals Committee to who would review the case. In British Columbia, actually, our trial commission rules are such that there is no appeal from. Interesting. Uh, and I consider that to be unmasonic, but um, no one listens to me. <laughs> So I would suggest that is a landmark, and it's one that often uh, we have turned away from. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. Uh, the right, and this one is capitalized, and I believe this may be considered a right in the American states, the right of every Mason to visit and sit in every regular lodge. In British Columbia, it is a privilege. Uh, any member of the lodge can object to any visitor. If uh, any member objects, uh, he doesn't have to give a reason, the visitor has to leave. Uh, I know that that's the case in some Southern American jurisdictions where members from our jurisdiction have attempted to attend lodges and have been turned away and been told that they have that right. We won't discuss the color of their skin. Uh, so I don't know, is, does, in Washington, does every, do you have the right to visit any lodge or can any member of the lodge object? So if you are not a member of the lodge and you show up at their meeting and say, I want to sit in lodge, um, if three brothers, uh, object to the master, the master can then say, I'm sorry, brother, you're not welcome to sit in our meeting. Oh. So it's not a, not a one brother thing, but you have to have a group of three at least to gang up on. All right. Have you ever heard of a member being uh, refused? I, before that rule was put into effect, yes, a couple of times, including some uh, very senior Grand Lodge officers who, my guess is why the rule got changed is because of that. But the, uh, the, um, but the rule, I've not heard, since they put the three rule in, I've not heard of it happening, but I don't, I'm not wired into all hundred and however many lodges we have either, so it's... And Travis? It will occasionally happen in our jurisdiction where, where uh, someone will object to sitting in lodge with somebody. Uh, more often, uh, if a brother is really upset with, with a visitor, he'll just leave himself. Rather than bring disharmony into the lodge, he'll just leave. Uh, in, the, in the Canadian ritual, the wording is, if they're there, we have an apron charge that says that if you are at variance with a brother, which is to say another member of your lodge, you both are supposed to retire and not return to the lodge until you settle your differences. Interesting. That's a- uh, it's a symbol. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, I suspect that there's not a lot of real healing going on. That People just carry grudges. Sounds like a, there's a, a couple lines in the Bible along those lines, as I recall, about getting go. straight with your brother before you make your sacrifice to the Lord. Yeah, yes, yeah exactly. Exactly. The, uh, yeah, we, um, the, uh, never mind. <laughs> it was a... so, so the right of visiting then is 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 limited in the jurisdictions that we're aware of. Uh, I don't know if there are any in which they they do keep a, a universal rule that if you turn up, they have to accept you. There may be some, but I su- suggest that one ain't a landmark. Um, no visitor, unknown as a mason, can enter a lodge. This is number fifteen can enter a lodge without first passing an examination according to ancient usage. 
So we have uh, investigating committees when anyone visits our lodges in, in British Columbia or Yukon. Uh, I think that's pretty much universal. Uh, someone who turns up just because he shows you a dues card, just because he's carrying an apron, you're going to take him aside and ask him a few questions. Yep. Yeah, it's the same here. Yep. Let's call that one a landmark. <laughs> yep. Now, I have turned up in lodge occasionally where no one knew me or knew my name, and they just looked at my dues card and let me in, which was gross dereliction of duty on their part. But in principle and, and in general practice, I think, I think this is a landmark. Uh, no lodge can interfere in the business of another lodge nor give degrees to brethren who are members of other lodges. But we've, we've heard of courtesy degrees, uh, especially with traveling brethren who travel for work. So I suggest that this one is a, um, a rule that needs some hedging in. Uh, you are so, and, and it, in our jurisdiction, uh, a lodge, and who initiates a candidate can consider that candidate to be their material. They can ask another lodge to, uh, uh, to confer a uh, fellow craft or a master mason degree as a courtesy, but the other lodge can't without that lodge. The first lodge's permission, just go ahead and take that member. No poaching. Uh, and I suggest, uh, as I say, hedged in by various practical rules, uh, the no poaching rule is is a bit of a landmark. No, it's not a historical landmark, but I suggest it's a very important one for for us getting along with each other. It's, it's common courtesy. Yeah, common courtesy should be a landmark. There you go. Let's just throw out all of these and just say common courtesy. Uh, so examination interfere. Every Freemason is amenable to the laws and regulations of the Masonic jurisdiction in which he resides. Well, that kind of keeps the peace, I guess. Uh, I, it's certainly not a historical landmark. Uh, if you go back into, you know, before time immemorial, before a man can remember, uh, well, we didn't have lodges like this, so it wasn't, it wasn't an issue. Um, or jurisdictions like this. Um, we do obligate our candidates and our masters uh, to uh, obey uh, their leaders uh, established for the time being and, and uh, the rules and constitutions and bylaws of the order, blah, blah, blah. So we've already taken obligations to that effect. So again, with certain restrictions, maybe that one is a landmark in, in current practice. I would agree. We can always lobby to change those rules, but uh, as and like civil, and again, this is a symbol. We ha we have sworn to be to be peaceable subjects in our nation uh, that we find ourselves in, uh, not to be a plotters of revolution and, and what have you. So, uh, by the same token, we can uh, uh, honestly and and openly uh, work towards making changes to rules that we don't like. Uh, but in the time being, we obey them. And that's kind of what Masons are about as well. So maybe that one is a, is a landmark. Um, ah, 
qualifications of a candidate is number 18, that he shall be a man, unmutilated, freeborn, and of mature age. Unmutilated. When did that get slipped in there? So it's always been there. Well, let me take that back. It was there, and that goes back to the stonemasons. You have to be whole. So, and certainly in many jurisdictions up until the First World War, and I suspect, I don't know how the Americans handled the, the, your Civil War, or the aftermath of that, but certainly after the First and Second World War, the, uh, in most jurisdictions, certainly in British Columbia, many questions were being posed to the Grand Master. Can we initiate a candidate who's missing his leg below the left knee? Is he missing this finger, that finger, that knuckle, that joint, that arm, that whatever? And they kept fine-tuning the, these rules pretty much to say, well, if he can make uh, the steps and signs and recognize them so that they're recognizable, and he can recognize them, so he's, uh, someone who's blind would be excluded, I guess. Uh, so, and eventually, just with changing times, we got rid of those rules entirely. But certainly... Uh, in earlier centuries, unmutilated was was an important part of it. Uh, These days in Washington, you're required to, quote, possess no disability in his body that would render him incapable of conforming reasonably with what the degrees require of him. So there you go. Uh, we just don't have any rule on the books at this point, I don't believe. Uh, so you be a man. Let's not open that can of worms right now. Uh, <laughs> that's that, a whole other show <laughs> that might be an interesting dis discussion topic for another podcast uh gender identification uh is is a major issue right now yeah uh, i thought i was gonna have to deal with that one at, at our lodge and uh thankfully after three efforts of mine to try and make contact with the number i was given i was unsuccessful uh yes well, uh, it, it's not going to go. So it's, it's a topic for, as I say, another conversation. Um, where do we go? Uh, Freeborn. So at one time, uh, you could not be born into slavery. Uh, in the Western world, that's not, not going to happen, one hopes. Uh, but nevertheless, slavery still is an issue around the world. Some jurisdictions have removed that. Um, I'm not sure if that's historically a landmark or not. I'd have to, I'd have to go back and, and read the Hollywell manuscript. Mature age, well, uh, British Columbia has set its age at 21. Uh, there was a motion to reduce it to 19 this year, which failed. Some jurisdictions in the States, I believe it's as low as 18. I think Washington's is 18, yeah. Are you 18 now? Okay. Um, uh, in Scotland, it's 21, 18, if you are the son of a Mason, a Lewis. Um, in some European jurisdictions, it's 25. So what constitutes mature age? I say 45 myself. <laughs> so I don't know that I'm there yet. So. <laughs> when did ours, ours turned 18 a while ago. And yeah, I know there are states, that Texas, I believe, is one where it's, 21 or 18 if you're a, a Lewis. So, And in Washington, do you have to be a Lewis to, to at 18? Nope, you just have to be at least 18. And so why did, why did they uh, bring it down to 18, do you know? 
I don't know. It happened before I joined. Um, I don't know exactly when. Uh, I know it had been 21 previously, but I'm not, like I said, I'm not sure when the change was or, or what the logic was at the time. My, my, I can tell you my guess is that membership numbers were declining and they were trying to remove barriers, but that is purely a guess on my part. I don't know. Uh, I suggest that there are, there are two or three principal reasons. That is one. We're running scared from our numbers. Uh, so, okay, if we can get younger ones in, uh, that, that somehow felt that, that was a good idea. Um, part of, some people who say you're, you're old enough to join the military and fight and die for your country. You're old enough to, to join masonry or, or whatever, drink, or evil. that's not currently the law, but yeah. And, and that's the other argument, and that was the argument presented uh, in the late 60s, early 70s, or whenever America lowered the, the federal voting age to 18. Exactly. Yep. So, well, if I can kill be killed for my country, why can't I vote to get out of this? <laughs> Which is a very, very valid argument uh, in, in the civil stage, but I suggest is not that valid an argument in masonry. Um, one of the questions we ask our potential candidates is, um, uh, are you able to support yourself and those dependent on you? Now, you may not have anyone dependent on you, but there are a few 18-year-olds who are capable of supporting themselves. Uh, that uh, There are a few 18-year-olds who know their own minds well enough. There are some, but they are rare, and we cannot always determine that. I suggest there were some, you know, 25-year-olds who still haven't, they just come out of college, or they still haven't figured out what they're going to do with their life. They don't know what their career path is, what their life path is going to be. And to make a commitment, to, to not to just join a club, but to make a lifetime, what should be a lifetime commitment to a way of life and an attitude towards society is asking an awful lot of someone that young. I mean, there are some young men that, are mature enough, I believe, to make that decision, right? I do, I do kind of wish that uh, I, I was going to uh, put the motion forward at this year's Grand Lodge, but I won't be there, so I, I didn't find it. It may, it may come forward again this year. I don't know. Yeah, I'm hoping it does. And I, I, I'm kind of of the opinion that if there were a Lewis or a Dean, uh, senior Dean um that they could join it. Uh, 18 right that's my opinion right a lifestyle choice perhaps yeah um, i joined when i was 23. yeah uh, look how that worked out <laughs> but i suggest sitting in the grand lodge of british Columbia and yukon's library for the last 25 years i've had an awful lot of i kept the place open for years on, on a friday evening so i would have um kids uh, college kids, young young men wander in, not a lot, but occasionally. And, and most of the ones, not all, but most of the ones who petitioned and joined generally left after a year, a year or two. Uh, they, uh, I tried to, to vet them, but many of them were just interested, were just curious. And once they were satisfied that they weren't going to be given the keys to uh, the Illuminati, or whatever, uh, wandered off to something else. So I, I suggest your average 20-year-old, 18-year-old is not committed enough. But that's for Brad Lodge to decide, and for them to decide what is a mature age. And the landmark only talks about mature age, not an actual number. Here's a back in the days of the stonemasons, the, 
you had much younger guys, although they're, they might not have been masters because they hadn't done their masterpiece yet and such. But. Uh, number 19, I think, is a deal breaker. A belief in the existence of God, or as we say in British Columbia, a belief in a supreme being is what is the question on the board. Yeah, that would have to be a landmark then, yep. Uh, yet the single largest Masonic body in France removed that requirement. Really? Many of the members, uh, we don't recognize them. No other jurisdiction in the world. Uh, uh, that's not true. There are a couple of other equally atheist. No, they are not atheistic. They get described as atheistic. They have removed the requirement for a belief in a supreme being. Many of their lodges still have an open Bible, uh, swear the obligation what, uh, to, to God, whatever. Uh, but it's no longer a requirement. Hmm. Uh, and we all stop recognizing them because, as you say, we still consider that one to be a landmark. Certainly is a time immemorial one, uh, and from our lights would uh, materially change Freemasonry so that it was no longer Freemasonry. Yes. So we don't argue that one. 20, subsidiary to this belief, Ah, this one is controversial. Subsidiary to this belief in God is the belief in a resurrection to a future life. Well, terms are pretty vague, so it doesn't have to be a Christian concept of heaven or a Buddhist concept of, of eternal... Um, reincarnation. Reincarnation, uh, or a, a subsuming into the Godhead. Uh, well, actually, being subsumed into the Godhead is, of course, an erasure of ego. And I suggest that this one is specifically phrased in, in, in the idea, the concept that your ego, your spirit, your soul uh, survives whatever that resurrection is, as opposed to becoming simply part of something bigger. So is that one a landmark? And is that one that we should continue today? Mm. Considering our our more inclusive community. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. The certainly there are, as when people ask me about masonry and about new guys ask me about the ritual and say, "Wow, you know, it's pretty Christian," or "There's a lot of Christian stuff in here." I, one of my usual answers is, "Well, it was written in the early 1700s or earlier." by a bunch of white guys in England who that was what they knew. You know, if, if you were going to talk about God, this is the God you talked about kind of thing. And so nowadays we in, in Washington and British Columbia and, and England know of many other religions and know much better than we would have then. And so it's sort of a, the ritual has not caught up with our knowledge or not caught up with, isn't the right phrase, but has not evolved as our knowledge has of, of other religions. So, I, that's an interesting question. I personally, if someone came to me and was interested in joining and believed that there was a supreme being and not necessarily that he was going to go to heaven or hell or, like you said, uh, be reincarnated, etc., I personally would not have a problem with that. But, but there it is. <laughs> so certainly I, I would suspect, uh, if I may point them out, uh, the southern states uh, will, will hold to that standard. British Columbia requires one question, one permissible, so, sorry, one question that has to be answered in the affirmative. Do you believe in a supreme being? There are two permissible questions that do not have to be answered in the affirmative. 
So why you bother to ask them at all, I don't know, but they are permitted. Uh, do you believe that, that, that God has revealed his will? Uh, and we use the paternalistic he, his simply because that's the language we use. Uh, and it reveals his will. And uh, that uh, might be the question of resurrection. I can't remember. Nevertheless, these are permissible questions, but not obligatory ones. And they don't have to be answered in the affirmative, so they're rarely asked anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, I have no idea what the case might be in, in England. Um, but these, this 25 would have been created, as I say, Albert Mackey, American, uh, 19th century. So that's the thinking that would have suffused that. Um, the book of the law shall constitute an indispensable part of the furniture of every lodge. Uh, yes, that is a time immemorial uh, landmark, if you want to practice. It was not necessary in the early, early days that it be open, but there had to be a copy of, of at that time, of course, it was going to be the Christian Bible, uh, probably Tisdale's. Um, so there had to be a Bible there. It didn't have to necessarily be open. It, there wasn't. In fact, the early ceremony of opening the lodge, opening a book, putting the square and compasses down, was done on the constitutions, not, not on the Bible. Interesting. Uh, that didn't last for very many years, but in early days. But notably, it does say Book of the Law, which, which for the 1860s, the fact that they didn't say, or 18, whatever it was, 40s, 50s, notably did not say Holy Bible. You could, in, yeah. in theory, you could have here a Quran or a... No. And I, I, as far as I'm aware, uh, Albert Mackey, so yeah, uh, 1858, uh, Mackey was a Trinitarian Christian, I, I, I believe. So that, yes, that he would have simply said Book of the Law does say something. What it says, I'm not sure. Uh, but, but I think we can agree that, that, uh, that some spiritual publication has to be present, just as furniture. It doesn't say that we're doing anything particular with it. But, but that... Again, symbol of deity, symbol of something bigger than us, is a key part of what makes us Freemasons. Or if you're in France, a book with blank pages. There you go. <laughs> uh, number 22. Oh, we are whipping along here. In capital letters, the equality of all Masons. So he doesn't describe that, hedge that in at all, uh, but certainly... Um, within certain context. So at the annual moots that the, the stonemason guilds had in, in Scotland and Northern, Northern uh, England, Ireland, uh, I suspect only masters or fellow, no, only fellow craft, I don't think entered apprentices, uh, were considered equal. Uh, so now in British Columbia, you receive your editor apprentice degree, you receive your fellow craft degree, you're not actually a voting dues mem paying member of the lodge until you receive your master mason degree. Right. Is that the case in, in Washington? It's the same here. You're uh, As an editor apprentice, you're entitled to sit in lodge and you're entitled to a Masonic funeral and a few other uh, rights that you have, but it's the same. You don't have to pay dues, but the flip side of that is you don't get to vote and uh, ballot on new candidates or vote in lodge. So all masons are not equal in that respect. Now, in England, entered apprentices pay what they call subscriptions, their annual dues, 
uh, and are considered full members of the lodge. Uh, they are not considered members of the district or, or of Grand Lodge. Uh, not members in terms of, of voting members, but there's, there's layers. The British are so British. Uh, what can you say? Um, so I suggest the equality of all Masons, certainly in principle, uh, and this goes back to the Scottish idea that, that once you've served in your office, you retire into the multitude, you become one amongst equals, and we talk about meeting on the level and all of that. So in its broadest sense, that is a landmark, but in practical terms, we do create distinctions. Maybe we should be getting rid of those distinctions. I don't know. All Masons meet on the level, that's why we have so many of them. There you go. <laughs> uh, number 23 is the secrecy of the institution. And we guess we're not actually going to get through all 25 today. Well, we have eight minutes left. Well, we can do this. So the secrecy of the institution. Well, what does that mean? Well, we're not, I know it's been said that we're not a secret society because our names are on the front of our building. True enough. It's been said that uh, I don't like the saying, we're, we're not a secret society, we're a society with secrets. Well, we're not a society with secrets, they've all been published. We, have, we are a society with symbols of secrecy. <clears throat> a society with secrets is, is the National Security Agency. They have secrets. We don't have secrets, we have privacy. Uh, so I'm not sure what Mackey may have meant by the secrecy of the institution, uh, other, uh, you know, beyond what we've discussed, that we're not going to discuss the modes of preparation or the modes of, of recognition, and that we believe that what business we do in that closed room is private. Right. Beyond that, I don't see that as really being. Now, actually, if you go back pre-1717, Stonemasons Guild, Yes, they were, they were secret societies in that if the church had found out about them, uh, <clears throat> blood would have flowed. Uh, you know, it wasn't a pleasant time to be a Freemason. <coughs> uh, so secrecy is a time memorial custom, a memorial custom, but certainly not one that has, I think, any relevance today, unless you happen to be in Iran or some other unfortunate places on the planet. The found... Um, this one gets a little fancy, number 24. The foundation of a speculative science for purposes of religious or moral teaching. I'm not exactly sure. I'll read that again. Yeah. The foundation of a speculative science for purposes of religious or moral teaching. So I don't see that so much as a landmark as his own personal definition of what Freemasonry is. Sounds like, yeah. Uh, yes. And in our fellow craft degree, of course, we talk about the study of the liberal arts and sciences are, are an important part component. We know that when Freemasonry was revived or set up in you know, the early 1700s, that paralleled the growth of the Royal Society, speculative science, that a lot of scientists and, uh, were members of lodges in England and, in fact, conducted scientific empirical experiments in Lodge at a time when they were not permitted to do so in the universities. So to a certain degree, we are about empirical science mm -hmm. uh, for the purposes of religious or moral teaching. So his language, 
his time, his place, but to a certain degree, that is a, a valid definition of what we are, perhaps. Yes. Number 25. <laughs> Number 25. These landmarks can never be changed. <laughs> well, you know, we wouldn't want to get innovative. I uh, wouldn't want innovation. So I think, uh, so that one we, we can obviously set aside. We know that, that uh, Albert Mackey composed these himself based on his readings. Um, and there's, uh, there's no reason that they have any great carved in stone, stone status. As I said at the end of our, our season one uh, episode about the landmarks, the in the Grand Lodge of Washington uh, Masonic Code, it lists the the, the same twenty five uh, landmarks. And after number twenty five, it says the landmarks of Freemasonry can never be changed. And after that, it says revised two thousand seven. So we've got a couple of minutes. Um, their Grand Lodge of Massachusetts has a list of of seven. So monotheism, the sole dogma of Freemasonry, we've accepted that. Uh, a belief in immortality in some form, we've accepted that. Here referred to as the volume of sacred law, furniture of the lodge. Uh, they've included the legend of the third degree, uh, secrecy, and a freeborn male adult. So is the legend of the third degree well we know it's not a historical landmark because pre pre 1717 uh the 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 metaphor the drama was of noah and his sons so moving forward would we still be freemasonry if we decided that we wanted to substitute someone else and some other event some other Interesting. Uh, that's a tough one. I, I think it might have been long enough now that we're doing it this way that, that it kind of is a landmark of the of this, the society. I mean, I know that many, 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 many of our members would recoil in horror at the very thought. <laughs> On the other hand, hear me out, there, uh, as we have de-Christianized in 1815 the rituals, uh, not... A, certainly the English derived rituals, and that would be the Canadian work, the emulation, uh, not so much in the States, but um, I still have had the occasional person say, well, but you are a Christian organization because it's all about, you know, you, you talk about biblical people all the time. So our metaphors are taken from, uh, from, from, from the Pentateuch, from the old, the old Testament, whatever you want to call it. So, uh, if we were to strip those out and find another historical or legendary, but from a different tradition, um, the Thunderbird from Haida Gwaii, I, I don't know. Uh, Return to Horus and Osiris uh, <laughs> and, their, and their son. Um, would we no longer be Freemasonry if we were still teaching the same lesson of fidelity and, and honor and all of that? Yeah, I certainly would not suggest that the story we use, or the allegory we use, is the only allegory that teaches those ideas. But I would say, so from a philosophical standpoint, I would say it's not absolutely necessary. But from a historical standpoint of this is what we've all referenced, and this is what the literature talks about, and that I would imagine it would be difficult to, to, to make that turn in the, in the organization worldwide. I, I'm just playing devil's advocate. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> 
uh, that and the fact that I really have difficulty memorizing that long piece. <laughs> I just well, the ritual. Well, we uh, are coming to the end of our recording time here, and we uh, at the Working Tools Podcast really want to thank you, uh, Brother McEwen, for your time again. Uh, we really appreciate having you on our show, and we uh, look forward to having you back again, and we'll, I'm sure we'll find another really cool topic to discuss. Absolutely, Trevor. I can't thank you enough for coming out this evening. Thank you very much. Happy to, happy to do it. And uh, on that note, uh, everybody uh, who's watching and listening to our podcast, please remember to like and, and uh, comment and uh, review us on the particular apps that you're using because it helps us with our rankings.